This is exactly right. Of the Law & Order franchises, SVU is considered especially watchable. We are the amateur detectives who kind of investigate the vicious felonies these episodes are based on. These are our stories. Dun-dun! Hello, everybody, and welcome to That's Messed Up, an SVU podcast. I'm Kara. And I'm Lisa, and we talk SVU, true crime. We have celeb guests. We really have a fun time here. Up top, we catch up. We relive. We recap. I don't know. We just we have a lot a, to say. Yeah, we just had a blast at the Moon Tower Comedy Festival. I know we're in the time machine at this point. This will come out in like, you know, a week or two after we left Austin. But thank you to everybody who came out. We had such a good time. The shows are so back-to-back. We got to meet a few people and take some selfies. But if you come to our regular live shows, you guys know we meet everybody. We take pics. We sell fun tour-exclusive merch. So sorry if we couldn't give that whole experience to the Moon Tower people, but you guys were the best. We had so much fun. And if you're interested in seeing us on the road, right now we're booked at Cobbs in San Francisco on June 8th, the Tempe Improv in Tempe, Arizona on June 15th, and Denver Comedy Works on June 25th. And those are all places that we hit early last year, and we're so excited to come back. So come see us. New show, new games, new merch. It's all going to be fun. And Hell um, yes. Moon that. Tower was so fun. Kara and I also sang Skater Boy for the goddamn comedy jam. Yes, we And did. my favorite part was I got off stage and I went up to someone. I was like, oh my God, I'm so out of breath. And he went, we heard. <laughs> <laughs> which was amazing, but it was a whirlwind. We had to learn the words. We had rehearsal. Everything was wild, but it's also like a social affair. Like it's a comedy festival. We're all on the road. We all live busy lives. Everyone is working. Everyone's traveling. Everyone lives in different cities. And so comedy festivals are really just like this time where we really don't respect the festival. Everyone was on mushrooms. Everyone is drinking all day. Everyone is like out of control. We're doing short sets. I mean, we respect our podcast. Of course, we had like the best time. I mean, I I was pretty sober, I would say. But They book us at a hotel with a pool. So basically, yes, there's drink. like, which they didn't do when we were the year and a half ago. So a year and a half ago, it was like, okay, who's going to Barton Springs? Who's going to get lunch? Now it's like, everybody just meet at the pool. We were just like all at the pool all day. Everybody like drinking and like it was just, wiping each other down with sunscreen. It was it was fun. Yes, but after our show we ran, I did another show. Then we had to yeah. like run. Our friends rolled a blunt. Then we had to change. And then and then it's like you run into all of your friends. Everyone is chatting. So then by the time we got to our venue, I put on sneakers. We walk. And as we got to the venue, they announced us to walk on yeah. stage. It was <laughs> It was they like barely a movie. checked to see if we were there. We were just like, they said our names. We went right on. And then we had Brad Williams. If you guys know the comedian Brad yes. Williams, he was our skater boy. So he came out at the very end. When we and, both forgot the words. The, yeah. Avril Lavigne is wild. The choruses are different. Each the, the chorus is not the same throughout the song. Yeah. Because it tells a story. 
And like, the, it's very like, da -da 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 -da, you know, so like the music is loud and I was like, they can't even hear me. And so I just started like hype, like dancing for Brad. And there's like, I have a video that somebody posted of us where the last 15 seconds of the song, I'm not even attempting a word. Lisa's still trying to do some words and I'm just dancing around Brad like a fly girl. It's, it was wild. It was so fun. It was fun. And I like also at this fest that I meet people. You had a couple friends there that I've heard about through you forever, but I had never met them in person. So like that was fun to meet new comics from New York or people that started in other cities and now live in New York and LA. And you meet some of the new young ones. You meet some of the old ones you've never met before. It's fun. I did the golf event. There was a golf event. I golfed with like managers and agents and, and people who paid to golf with the talent, which was so weird. <laughs> but um, it was like this whole, this golf course in Austin that's like not mini golf at all, but not full Tiger Woods golf. But I kept going at every hole, where are we hitting the ball? And they'd be like, that flag over there. And I kept going, that's far. And these like <laughs> agents were just like rolling their eyes at me. Because like I've only ever mini golfed. So it was wild. I definitely almost hit a cameraman with my golf ball. Well, I just was staying up till like four to six, seven in the morning every night. Yeah. So there was just no way. I wasn't going to golf either way. But I just don't... The idea of be here at 11, get in this car... No. I just need to go to the pool. I need a casual. Yeah. I need to eat Jimmy John's in my bed. Like, I just can't be forced to plan. That's why I loved the pool deck because everything else, like I was getting texts that's like 1130 breakfast at this place. And it's like, get away from me. Yeah. Like, there's no way I'm doing anything besides sitting at the pool. Like in no, yes. in no Some people world. like a plan. Some people, like I was talking to one of my favorite comedians of all time. I won't even bring her up. I won't say her by name, but she was like, I'm not that good at socializing. And so she just reached out to me and was like, do you want to get lunch? And I was like, yes, of course. I'm like obsessed with you. But then you find out that these people that you think are like the most amazing are like, like they're scared to reach out to people or they don't know how to like meet up for lunch or make a plan. So I'm I'm happy to make a plan with people that are, I talked to a few comics that were like, these, these festivals give me social anxiety. And I was like, wow, it's so hard for me to relate because these fest kind of festivals like energize me and make me, I like love them so much. And I feel like you feel the same way, you know? To um, me, but I if love, you have a little bit of social anxiety, it's definitely. It is. I just love organized fun where everyone's around and I don't have to plan. Like, but not too organized. Yeah. Not too organized. But to the fact, even when I went to just put on sneakers, then the elevator doors open and we ran into three people that we enjoyed talking to for two minutes. Yes. Like, yeah. it's anywhere you go, there's someone that you like, even if it's not your favorite, favorite person, it's like, oh, great. I'll hang with you for a few yeah, minutes yeah, yeah. or like for a half hour or let's walk to this venue together. You know, it's like there's a bud everywhere. And so I kind of, I enjoy that life. Um, yeah. In terms of fest life. I'm trying to think what, there must have been other wild shit though. And there was minimum drama. Like I had to like dig to be annoyed by someone. <laughs> You know, there was really minimal. Yeah. I think it's because everyone was on mushrooms. We were all, everyone was just in a great yeah. mood. It's also like there's other festivals where some people get chosen for them and it's like, it feels a little bit maybe more competitive of who's going to have a good set. And th these festivals are like just not competitive at all. It's just like, where are you up? Where are you up? I got to go see one of my favorites do an hour. Like, I, I mean, I had a, a, a great time. Um, and then I flew home 
And I got to my back to my house at 8 a.m. and was immediately having to parent. My son broke a lamp within an hour of me being home, had a tiny cut on his finger that he didn't even cry about. So we didn't notice the lamp was broken until we noticed his hand had blood on it. <laughs> it's just a wild life. Um, Which lamp was it? A, a little one in the guest room. Like he went back there and I didn't notice. And then he just came back. Oh my God. And I got to sit next to a celebrity in the car to the airport and next oh, yeah. to me on the plane who ended up being the nicest person. I will be, I was already a fan. I played it cool, but I will be a fan for life is Ben Schwartz. So if any of you are fans of Ben Schwartz, you can go gung-ho because kind. I sat in the car with his parents. His mother and father came from New York and we shared um, our shuttle to the airport. And then I'd, I would be horrified, but he was like, oh, are you A? I'm sitting in B. And I was like, because he's like, maybe we're sitting next to each other in the flight. And I go, well, I'm not in first class. He goes, neither am I. And what? so were we you guys were- comfort? We were comfort, but his <laughs> friend and then you're, you know, Spencer. So yeah. they were the last row of first class. So they were playing, they were really being really funny about us and trying to like- well, they were actually ignoring me. It, they were talking to, to Ben Schwartz. <laughs> <laughs> but so they were nice. playing jokes and like leaving him out and like being like, um, like trying to like really make fun of him for being in comfort. But he was so nice. I gave him space, but he talked to me. I got to talk about my favorite movie he's in. We chat. I didn't know he was as successful as he is because he's so chill, I think. He's very successful. Yeah, but he's like the voice of Sonic too. I mean, yes. the voice of Sonic. Like, I and mean, there's Dewey, all this Huey, stuff. Huey, Louie. Yeah, yeah. Like How he so just does he's, fingers in a lot of pots, you know? He's successful. I, I didn't realize it because they kept making fun of Sonic because they wanted to watch. Spencer was like putting Sonic on the Delta screen and then going to take a <laughs> selfie with him in comfort while watching <laughs> Sonic. That's so funny. But he was just like nice and like beyond. I don't know. I just was like thrilled and I got to talk to his parents and he just, I don't know. I know celebs sometimes are just like well, us, but he's nicer than I ever would have been to anybody. I was going to say, it's really he woke refreshing. Me up. That he like you had woke that. me up. It's really refreshing you had that experience because like, I don't think we've talked about it since on the podcast, but like the week before Moon Tower, I was in Fort Lauderdale with all of my siblings for my sister's birthday. My sister had a big birthday. And so we planned this trip down to Florida with a bunch of her friends and my siblings. And people were just telling me about comedians they liked. And I just kept going, yeah. And they were like, is he bad? And I was like, not the best. And I just had to keep telling people like, your fave is problematic. And it's just nice to be like, oh, Ben Schwartz, good guy. You know what I mean? Like, I've never heard anything bad about him, but also like the approval of being like a nice person. No, beyond nice. And because we were talking about him, because he did the theater with his friends and then we were talking, and then he was, I was like, oh, have you done Radio City? And he goes, yeah. I'm like, oh, wow, that's incredible. And we just talking about venues. And then to his parents, he goes, well, you know, she performs at the cellar, which is very iconic. Like he was like <laughs> hyping me up from for playing this tiny venue in New York to his mother and father. Like it was so this funny. moment where I'm like, oh, you're like so sweet. There's no reason for you to be doing this. I don't know. It just like, it really made my life. And um, I also want to say, I did already watch the new season of Indian Matchmaking. Okay. 
And I was texting our friend Namesh because he's Indian and um, with just my thoughts. And I was really pissed at this one guy because he was like, I want a girl who can speak Hindi. And then she set him up with someone. And then his complaint was, well, she has an accent. I don't want someone that sounds too Indian. And so I texted him being like, what the fuck? You want a girl that can speak Hindi but not sound too Indian? What the fuck is wrong with you? He sent me a review and an article about Indian matchmaking from the New York Times. The last line of the article is what I texted him. I can, <laughs> I can write for the New York Times. Like, <laughs> I had, like, the journalist's opinion, but they were just talking about how it's so old school. But I'm like... Yeah, whether it's Indian people, white people, uh, brown people, Shaws, whatever, we're watching rich maniacs on television. You know what I mean? Because right. they all, because the whole New York Times article was like, it's regressive, it's aunties, it's people being like, I want someone in my same religion or whatever, you know? And I'm right. like, I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I, uh, but I do think some people learn really valuable lessons and do find love and I do like her vibe, but I see the, cultural issues with it too, but I'm not going to stop watching and I already finished it. But um, yeah, but it was just like interesting. I like that I had the same perspective as this like New York yes, Times I love writer. You weighing in. That's great. Um, I know that's on my list of things I got to watch. I know you and Michelle Collins both love that little nugget. Um, well, because, and then the part of the article that was upsetting the person too was like, she keeps telling the women like, you, you're being too picky. You need to settle. You need to settle. And she was like, that's just like fucked up. Like, stop telling women that they need to settle. But she is telling the men too. But it's also like, maybe a woman should go on a date with a bald man. I don't know. Yeah. But then I saw a TikTok that was like, shut up. Stop telling women that they need to like go on dates with people they're not attracted to. It's like a trick. Why do men get to be superficial and not women? It's like not nice. Yeah. Like everyone gets I mean, to be superficial. But then it's like, I don't know. I have no idea. I also follow a little nudge, as you do as yes, well, who's yes. a dating coach. And she's always like, you don't have to be like, you're dating to get to know someone. You don't need to like be blown over with romantic connection on like the first date. Like go on a second one, see what's up. I don't know. I don't know if that's... But she also wrote something today that she says she thinks men always have to pay. And I didn't really... I, that's not my... I don't think that's true. Jared and I, when we dated, like, he paid a bunch, I paid a bunch. It was, like, very... But no, but she's not always. She's saying first date. I saw that post. That's it? First date? Men I pay? got the vibe that it was first date. But I agree with her. Okay. If it's just first date, fine. I thought it was, like, men pay on dates. And I was like, I, don't, I can't with that. That's, like, not... A, I always felt, too, like I had to split with someone that I knew I wasn't, like, into. I was like, I'm going to split with you because like, I feel too bad. <laughs> no, I, I, I agree with that. Well, but what I do like that she said was there's a place for feminism, chivalry, and men paying. Like, yeah. I don't like that men use that they have to pay on first dates as like negating feminism as a whole. You know, it's like... Like, um, it like for some reason, feminism is now net does not exist because women want men to pay on dates. Right? Like, no, you don't actually. That's no. not the valid argument there. And then there's incels that are like, women just expect men to be walking bank accounts, and it's like, no, that's well, not it either. But like, you set that up. Like that's the whole thing. It's like men want to be providers, and women sit at home and suck your dick, and then you're mad when women are like, fine, then pay for dinner. 
Yeah, and that's you're not, what a lot of the people in the comments were saying. You're too. also they were like, not paying for dinner because the girl is hungry and you're doing charity work. You want to get your dick sucked. So stop acting like you're some magnanimous person feeding women from the goodness yeah. of your heart. Yeah. You want something. <laughs> you want something from them. And so yeah. stop setting up. You're like, you're the one with outdated gender roles and then you're mad when women fulfill them. Like, it's crazy. Yes, yes. It's like lunacy. Oh, I've been seeing so many. There's this Twitter. I don't even know. I don't even follow it, but I get alerted every time it tweets. That's called Ask Aubrey. And it's literally all women writing in, am I, like, am I the asshole? Or no, it's, it's men too. It's just, am I the assholes where the man is being a full psychopath, which maybe is all, am I the assholes? But like, I mean, one I read today was like, my boyfriend blames me for being sexually assaulted, said I should have taken a cab home. And the girl's like, run out of there. Get out of there right now. Like, anyway, hers just always seem like it's just men from another time period. This one guy wrote in and was like, my wife only cares about the kids. She only focuses on the kids and she doesn't have any friends or any social life. After he goes on for two paragraphs, he reveals they have seven fucking kids. And he goes on a fishing trip once a month and makes multiple plans in the week to go out with his friends. And I was like, so you want a woman to stay home and watch your seven kids, but you also want her to have a bustling social life. But he won't watch the kids while but she you has won't do plans. That. Yeah. That's what people were asking and stuff. Like if he, like, you know, he'll get her a babysitter and she'll say, I kind of just want to like sleep or catch up on TV that I like because she's watching seven fucking kids. Like, and he's like, I make the money, so I get to go on fishing trips. Like, it's wild. Anyway, should we get started? Yeah, we could talk about Yellow Jackets another day. But I have a sneaking I'm suspicion not you're up. not even watching. Yeah, I am watching. I'm halfway through the third episode, so I'm like th two behind. Like, I'm going to catch up today. Yeah, Promise. and then we'll talk about All Stars line. We have a lot. I mean, thank God this podcast is not going to end anytime soon. Yeah. SVU yeah. keep rolling on. But I, you know what I am annoyed with? That we don't have new SVUs constantly. Like, I miss the days of old television where every week I got a new episode of fucking television. I know. Well, also, really quickly before we sign off, we probably do have to comment on the fact that the season finale, it either hasn't aired or it's airing like in two days, but Rollins is comes back pregnant. I don't know. She just left like three months ago. I mean, I know that's like pregnant, but it just seems like wild. She's back on, I think there's a crossover for the finale and there's gonna she's gonna be on OC a little bit. We'll see. We'll see, boy. Okay, um, buckle up. We've got a great episode for you. Okay, so we're doing inconceivable today. And is this the word from Princess Bride that everyone gets? Inconceivable, yes. Yeah, so this is the word. This is what everyone Yes, loves. this is the word. <laughs> okay, so Inconceivable, Season 9, Episode 14. We open up on a sunny New York City day, and we're following, you know, a sweater over a dress shirt kind of guy. He has a coat on. He's a dork. And he's blabbering on a cell phone, walking the streets, talking about an interview. And he's like, I'm going to put my communications degree on, you know, I'm going to, it's finally going to pay off. And I would argue that a communications degree is the most BS degree. Everyone talks about English, all these other, th communications is the most bullshit degree of all. 
more yeah. than liberal arts, more than anything. When I hear a communications degree, I hear you're bullshit. Well, Bullshit, well, bullshit, I don't really bullshit. hear. Yeah, I just don't understand. Like, it's just so broad. Like, I mean, and I say this as an English and a theater double major people. I'm not saying I had like a very substantive, you know, major. But yeah, communications just is like, in what way? Corporate communication? Like, what kind of communicating? Like, is, isn't communicating part of everything? I don't know. It's very large. It's very big umbrella. It's bullshit. They're going to come for us. You communications majors are coming for us. I no, can they feel know it. It's, they know it's bullshit. And in the major, they learn how to communicate their bullshit. And that's, <laughs> that's what it is. And then they go on to consult, which is more bullshit. I, I, I don't, yeah, that's what it Consulting, is. Consulting, the ultimate bullshit. Yeah. yeah. And so he's talking about a high tech firm. I don't buy a, I, I wrote he's bullshitting. And so- uh-huh. He enters a building, throws down a magazine at a receptionist who is deadpan, like, what do you want from me? And he's cocky and he goes, I can help you. And she, she's not buying anything. And then I see his face and you can tell he's so young. He's so inexperienced. There's nothing he can possibly do to help anyone at any time at all, (laughs) like except maybe how to make pizza rolls. And she hates him. And there's a sheen of sweat on his face as well. And he says that he saw they were advertising for Ivy League sperm and it pays up to $50,000. She's like, no, babe, that's for egg donors. You get $100 per collection. Um, (laughs) And he doesn't really like that pay gap. He calls it sexist. And she has to explain, well, it's a much simpler procedure and you can perform it on yourself if you know what she means. So he's like, well, since I'm down here, you know, I'll jerk off into a cup. Why not? And she <laughs> she lets him know that actually he needs to fill out forms and then do a physical. And then if he qualifies, he can do sperm. He could give sperm twice a week for up to two years. They both look away um, when they hear a noise and there's a fight, there's commotion. Someone's yelling, stop her. And it's a woman in medical gear. She's running out with a big medical container. It looks like a helium tank. And she whacks the sweater finance bro in the head. He falls over. And, you know, we love that. It is like a cartoonish opening. Like, it is really funny. Like, this guy's like, you guys want my Ivy League jizz? And then it's like, stop her! And she's got like a huge metal thing. And it's just like, I feel like the Benny Hill soundtrack should be playing at the same time. It's like, so goofy. I don't know. 100%. And the front desk woman looks so worried. And the person with the tank does run off and the blonde hair flying behind them out of their little medical cap. So that's a clue. And we find, uh, we cut to the office where Cragen is uh, with the big time boss guy, you know, a burly guy. And they walk in to see Benson, who's like, oh, fuck, the chief of D's is here. What does that even mean? The defense? Chief of detectives, I think. Oh, okay. He doesn't look happy. Yeah. Stabler, whose back is towards them, is like, fuck, what did I do now? Uh, but he's like, hey, I heard you have a baby. And he's actually in a fine mood. Um, he's into the baby. And he actually assigns them a case that's top priority, robbery and aggravated assault. He explains a deranged female perp stole a portable cryo tank from a clinic and there are a hundred frozen embryos in the tank. And those are potential children. And he calls them special victims. And we're off to do the case. And I love Benson's hair here. I love it. It's very Robin Wright in House of Cards. Yes. With a little posh spice, like short, but there's body and bounce. And it's tucked behind the ear. And I like it. And yeah, that's how we go into the credits. So 
embryos. Embryos are the victims. So this is honestly a pretty chill case. You know, there's not, no children in a dungeon, no generational, you know, rape Trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no, <laughs> there's no gang violence. It's just a helium container full of embryos. Yeah, which could be tragic, but honestly, uh, this is a vacation for SVU. This is <laughs> for us. really nice. For us, for us no for nightmares. Us. For us, this is a gift. This is a gift episode. So Ice-T is walking into the precinct and he's bitching, okay? He's bitching about the previous detective who had the case before it was given to SVU because the handwriting is terrible. And Benson adds, there's also horrible detective work. There's no leads. There's no suspects, nothing. And it's a Chester Lake episode, which I don't know. I'm not, we're not that thrilled. Yeah. And of course, Sandler's like, oh, I don't know. He's a good guy. What's your problem with him, guys? And then Benson's like, well, no, he's rude as hell. Like in his notes, he wrote, hormonal wannabe mama, re-interview. And Benson's like, listen, Marty's fine, but it, this it's good we're handling this case, okay? So Stabler's like, well, now I know why we're handling the case. Guess who's one of those stolen embryos belongs to? The police commissioner and his wife. And Benson's like, yeah, and I'm sure they're as sad as everyone else whose embryos are in that container. But Stabler is still pissed and is like, no, we have other cases that we should be working on, like we've talked about earlier. Dungeons, dragons. Full molestation. (laughs) Dungeons, dragon tattoos. Yes, all things we've done recently. (laughs) Yes. So suddenly he's not Catholic. For once, he's not about embryos, you know? Like, I'm surprised Stabler's not like, we need missing posters for 100 babies. Like, honestly, it's really not like him to not think that these are little baby, little frozen babies. No, this is not in line with his Catholicism at all and his usual... Do you think Tinsley's babies were in there? <laughs> My babies. Yeah. No, but the thing with her is the doctor kept being like, they're not, they're not, they're just eggs. And then, yeah. that, but that wouldn't stop them. They just kept bawling. <laughs> <laughs> I love Tinsley. Honestly, I would put her in my top 20. I love really? her. Really? <laughs> yeah, I'm drinking Luann. Like that to me. <laughs> I loved that. And I love her crying in the, in the make. Like she just, she just has an unhealthy relationship with her mother. And that is stopping her from leading the true life that she wants to live, which is free, a free, happy life. You know what I mean? With not a telemarketing scam guy in Chicago. Like, oh my God, the coupon king. Yeah, the pressures of society and her mother got to her and have constricted her. But I think deep down, she's a cool girl. The pressures of being a New York society, yeah, and being a New York society queen and having like a certain life pan out for you. But I think she likes that. I like. I think she liked being a society girl. Yeah. And I think Guys, that- if you don't know what we're talking about, it's Real Housewives <laughs> of New York. A few seasons back, Tinsley Mortimer, look her up. She had a cameo on Gossip Girl as herself. So that She's tells you She's been arrested and Palm Beach, baby. She did it before Luann. She made getting arrested in Palm Beach cool. Wait, but what's her sister's name? Her sister has- Oh my God. Dabney. It's Dabney. Dabney. <laughs> Tinsley and Dabney. It's too good. It's too good. So anyways, Elliot's not being Catholic. He doesn't believe these embryos are valuable at all. And then Benson has a great line. I would say the line of the episode. And she says, it's not like somebody stole their hubcaps, Elliot. (laughs) 
You freaked out over someone using your credit card for wacky African art. These are people's embryos, some people's last chance at having children. And and then she's like, do you know what they went through to get these embryos? And he goes, no, I don't. What? I had kids the old-fashioned way. Dick. So then Benson reminds him, well, not everyone's as blessed. And then it cuts to Chester and Finn watching, like truly put popcorn into their hands. <laughs> and so they um, all flag some cases that are considered troubled um, and that were part of the stolen batch. And Finn and Chester are going to go talk to the troubled families while Benson and Stabler are going to go down to the clinic. Stabler picks up a file and is like, why are these names redacted? And we pick up with the doctor chatting, being like, hello, doctor, patient privilege. Like, what is this your first day on the job, Stabler? And the doctor is played by Hannah Horvath's boss and HBO Girls, who was a little too touchy-feely. I don't know if oh, you remember yes. that from an early season. And he says the patients don't want their info released. And this is confusing to Benson. She's like, well, why wouldn't they want to cooperate? If my future kids were stolen, I would. And he's like, listen, it's a private matter. And some um, I just haven't even gotten a hold of, like, I, I, what do you want from me? He's trying his best. I trust him. I don't think this is one of those situations where it's like shady doctor. So Sabler's like, okay, find um, anyone unhappy with your services. And he's like, yeah, lots of unhappy people. Anytime the procedure fails, some are morally opposed to what I do. And Stabler's like, okay, tell me about them. And he goes, well, that wouldn't make sense because to them, every embryo is sacred. So this would be a tragedy. So I don't see why they would like steal the tank of embryos. And he keeps chatting, you know, tons of couples have been trying for years to get pregnant. Um, one of these embryos, like one of these batches is someone um, right before they started chemo. One of these batches is someone's eggs before they were shipped to Iraq as like an insurance policy policy for her husband. And Benson looks horrified at these stories. And then the doctor says unfrozen embryos last like six to seven days, but they were taken two days ago and they were filled two days prior. So, you know, they only have like three days to find them is the math that they did. I don't fully understand it. And honestly, I don't care. We're on a three-day three time clock. So each sample has its own little container in the big container. And a big tank can hold up to 20,000 samples. Um, you know, we love a, we'd love to learn a lesson in an episode. Episode. Stabler goes, wow, a booming business. He is anti-embryos. He is anti-these tanks. He is anti-everything. And now, you know, the Catholicism is strong with Elliot, but I feel with this, he's very Joe Rogan, where it's like, maybe it's natural selection and you just shouldn't be able to procreate, okay? And that's yeah. that. So that's the vibe I'm getting from him here, where it's like, wow, so this is just a business and maybe these sad women shouldn't have kids. Now I get where he's coming from. And the doc is like, look, women are waiting to have kids later in life and I'm here to help these, you know, people. And also the embryos that don't take are very, you know, are even more valuable, priceless, I would say, to researchers because you can do research on them. And Benson's like, okay, and what about this keypad you punched to get in here? How did the thief know the code? And they cut to a really uh, protected scientist, lab head, you know, head cap, double masks, microscopes, detectives holding uh, masks to to their faces, getting the scoop. And she quickly admits that she let them in. Damn it, lady. Come on. And they're like, why would you let a stranger into a restricted area? And she's like, hold on. I don't want to make another mistake. Let me just like finish my science. So she implants something. She lowers her masks and she's like, okay, 
I had to go run and tell the doctor something. And I think that's when this person slipped in and she only remembers the blonde hair. And now it's a nice walk and talk, a real slow stroll vibe, I would say. And the detectives are with Carol, the receptionist, and they're walking along a wall with all the baby photos that were made in the office, which I like. I like when a doctor's office does that. And they're asking questions. So, you know, disgruntled employees. She says, no, but we do have people entangled in lawsuits. Okay, done, done. We got something. Let's go, Barbie. <laughs> um, what is it? Come on, Barbie. Let's go party. So we're gonna we're gonna go check out all the lawsuits. So we're at the apartment of Maya Jorgensen, and she is pissed. And she's like to, you know, talking to Chester Lake, and she's like, they're holding my shit hostage. And now my, you know, they conveniently disappear. And he's leaning back on her kitchen counter like they're good friends, and he's having a chill catch-up with her. And it's like, this lady is clearly pissed, so stop being so relaxed. Like, Chester, get the fuck together and be professional. (laughs) And so... They're holding her embryos hostage because of her sadistic ex-husband, Stan. And um, she needs a court order to get her embryos. The clinic will not implant them without them. So she's going to trial. And Finn and Chester are like, why do you want Stan's babies? And she's like, listen, I didn't always hate him. This is, we were trying to get pregnant. It didn't work. We did in vitro. And then he wants out of the marriage. And Finn's like, okay, but why do you want his baby? And she's like, I don't fucking care. They're my fucking embryos. I want my babies. And that's that. Like, what do you want me to do? Throw them in the garbage? They're my babies. I don't care. So Chester accuses her of taking them. And she's like, well, in nine months, if I have a baby, you can come arrest me. I'm obsessed with her. I love her. <laughs> she has a bold lip. She has bangs, a silk top, some necklaces. Um, and she blames Stan. And so we go see this bozo. And he's wearing a suit and tie, like a full-blown loser. And, and to me, I'm like, let her have the baby. Like, who fucking cares? He doesn't want to be a father. No one's asking you to be. I, I <laughs> I just, I don't even get it. So they're like, well, it's a motive. And he's like, I was working all Monday night. And they're like, okay, well, we didn't even ask you that yet. Um, But where was your secretary? He goes, Joni, what? Are you kidding me? And he says, listen, even if I don't want a biological child or a financial mess with my greedy ex-wife, I'm not a sociopath, he says. And what would I have against all these other people and all their embryos? Like, I wouldn't do that shit. And Now I kind of like this finance bro, which is hard. Would you say Stan is like the classic name of a shitty ex-husband? Yeah. I just, it's like Stan is that name. Like. A hundred percent. And so we got to a fiery redhead shouting in the streets with a man. And they're um, anti-fertility clinics. They call them death camps. And this is... You know, Christians and anti-choice people love comparing the unborn to Nazis in World War II. They really love to belittle the Holocaust and the horrors that were done. It's really one of their favorite pastimes, uh, comparing cells to gas chambers. They love it. (laughs) Outside of harassing teenagers outside of abortion clinics, their favorite thing is belittling (laughs) the Holocaust. Second fave hobby. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then yeah, what's what's the third? I, I don't know yet. Making posters. Yeah. Going yeah. to hobby lobby. <laughs> going to going to funerals of dead people that were maybe gay. Yeah. So I hate them. And so they're talking about genocide. And there's a small collection of cameras and press taking it all in. Stabler and Benson interrupt uh, the mess with their badges. And they want to have a word with these people. It's James and Victoria Grawl with the VDL. 
And it's played by Mark Moses and Janine Turner. And they've uh, he's been in another SVU, season 18, The Newsroom. And he played George Thanos. And it's like the Fox News scandal with the anchors and stuff. And Janine looks so familiar. She's from Northern Exposure, which is okay. a show that I never watched, but I always knew this woman. And she was like pretty famous in like 90s television times, you know? Yeah. And then he he is from, I believe he's from Desperate Housewives. That's how I know him. He's to me, He's in tons of shit, but he always comes to me from Desperate Housewives in my mind. Yeah, and they play a great, they're great in this. They, yeah. um, they're funny. I would say they're funny. They're comical. Yeah. They, they do a really good job in these uh, parts. And the VDL, if you were wondering, is the Values Defense League. Um, their values, embryos. So <laughs> Saber's like, listen, we just caught you on camera having a vendetta against this clinic and a crime that was just, you know, they had a crime committed. So what's up? Is it you? And they're like, you must have missed the beginning. We believe life begins at conception. We would not hurt a single one. And we've made a, an appeal that whoever took these, like, return it to us and we will bring it back. And they're like, wait, you're going to bring them back to a place that you consider a death camp? You, <laughs> you guys don't make sense. And he's like, "We no, we're going to um, ask for people to consider adopting the extra unwanted embryos and bring them to term. Truly LOL. Yes. Truly LOL. Wait, but can I also say that when he first says, oh, you missed the beginning of our press conference, Stabler goes, yes, so did most of the press because there's like two cameras there. <laughs> so I just loved that little dig on these people. They're like, we're having a press conference. It's like you called two people with cameras to come here. Silliness. They're silly. I mean, I just, we both know through so many people that have had like IVF. It's like not every embryo is viable. What are you talking about? Adopting embryos. It's like so, this is like insane. To implant when there's just children everywhere and you know that these people vote against the betterment of children that are living yeah. constantly. It's just like all silliness. So anyways, they're saying they don't want the embryos destroyed. It's not them. And so Benson and Stabler, they do a walk and talk. Benson's like, fuck them. And Stabler's like, eh, it's tough. And Benson's like, no, it's not. Benson <laughs> sees a woman at her desk and asks if she needs her help. And duh. So her embryos were stolen. Her name is Eva Sinsel. And she's wearing a vest and a scarf. And she picked up her sperm out of a catalog. And we have a Nepo baby. Thrilling, thrilling. Her name is Gabrielle Anwar. Her father is Tariq Anwar, and he is an editor who worked on American Beauty, The King's Speech, Revolutionary Road, Damn. and 90 other movies. So that's cool. And she's a USA Network star. So she was on Burn Notice. Now, Burn Notice, is it cops, spies, lawyers, agents? I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah. What is, what is Burn it? Notice? That was a sketch on SNL. Um, was it really? <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> nobody fucking knows what Burn Notice is. Wait, we, but, that is so funny. SNL, that's perfect. <laughs> what is Burn... That's why everyone is always thinks SNL is stealing their sketches. That's so on the money. Like, what <laughs> is Burn Notice? But this woman, Gabrielle Anwar, was like hugely famous to me when I was growing up. Like she was in Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. Oh, she you was know in, her? Yes. Oh my gosh. 
She, so she was in If Looks Could Kill with Richard Greco. I mean, you're too young. Like you truly would have been like still a toddler. But I was like 11 when her movie started coming out, 11, 12. And she was in Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken for Love or Money with um, Michael J. Fox, like Three Musketeers. Like she was just in all these movies. And then I would say by the by the 2000s, she was kind of just doing random shit. But then I think Burn Notice was like her, like come back into the, into the like fold or whatever. And then she did SVU around this time as well. But I, I thought she was so beautiful growing up and she was in Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. She like rides a horse into a water tank in the circus. And I was like, this girl is amazing. Like I like loved her. So I was excited to see her star stud this episode. So Burn Notice is a spy recently disavowed by the US government uses his special ops training to help others in trouble. Yeah. And um the little the little tag that they have is trouble in paradise. So maybe it's spies in Hawaii. Yeah. Cuz I guess it's a they are somewhere tropically, I think. Oh, Miami, like, Miami where his mother lives. <laughs> a burn notice is when like you're like in the CIA or the FBI or like you're in a secret post and like they find, people find out who you are, I think. I think it's like you've been burnt or like you, it's kind of like getting made or whatever. And then I think your burn notice is like, you're not in, you're not in this organization anymore or something. Okay, so back to this woman. She's here to talk to Liv. Benson doesn't get it. She's like, wait, you're young and hot. What's going on here? That is like a really wild thing, don't you think? She's like, why don't you have kids? You're so beautiful. Like, it's so weird. It is weird. Well, I think it's because it was like the catalog sperm of it all too. She was just like confused by everything. Right. Like, why did you have to get sperm? Like, couldn't you have gotten knocked up by anyone? You're so gorgeous. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, I liked my career. Time got away. Oh, well, I think it's also because we're trying, the whole, this whole episode is a torture live episode. This is, yeah. <laughs> instead of it being like, oh, your dad's a rapist. This is like, well, you're hot and you're, why aren't you having a baby? Right. It's like a live. mirror. It's like a mirror up to live. Like you're hot. Yes. <laughs> why don't you have a kid? Yeah. Yeah. So she's like, I was a career woman. Time got away from me. Um, She was in denial about her biological clock and she, then she got cancer. And then now Benson is like, oh, what if I have cancer? You know, so she's, uh, Benson remembers the doctor told her about this woman and this is her last chance. She leaves and Benson's like, we'll find them. And Sabler says that the doctor called and said there's another couple to check out because their case is controversial. So they head over to another household. They're sad parents with a sick child with brain damage where her brain is like a three-month-old but her body is like an eight-year-old and they don't know the cause of the brain damage. She'll never be able to walk, talk, do anything. And, but they had her naturally, not in view. Trope. So what's up? And then Benson's like, oh, so you're screening. So your next kid isn't, you know, this disorder. And they're like, no. And so then they're like, okay, what, what's with them? What, what's going on here? <laughs> and they're like, well, no, we didn't have embryos, just eggs. Our case was published in the medical journal and we get a lot of hate mail and threats. People hate us. And so basically the eggs are not the mothers. The eggs are the little girls. Benson looks horrified. The girl has a blank stare because we've discussed the, the brain damage. So now they, they, there's a walk and talk in the hallway of the home as they like bring the detectives up to speed. So Benson is like, wait, eggs don't mature till the teens. Your daughter's eight. What's happening? They're like, oh, we have put her on high dose of estrogen treatment. Stabler's like, 
You put you made her into a baby making machine. And they defend themselves by saying, no, we only did one collection cycle. Um, The mom's going to be a surrogate and give birth to her own grandchild. And she's like, listen, I can't conceive. Alicia can never get pregnant. So without harvesting her eggs, our family line ends. And it's like, yeah, I'm okay with that. Like, (sighs) I don't know why you're not. Like, the idea that your family line matters is crazy to me. Yeah. I, I don't. Unless you're part of a, unless you're, unless you're part unless of like you're a, Jewish, unless yeah, are you're you Jewish. Like a, well, yeah. Well, we want to keep the Jews alive, but like monarchies, like who's gonna get all of our land? Like, I mean, it's like it's such an old concept, you know. Even that, I well, my thing. I mean, I can go on about this for days, but it's just what bothers me is the idea of like parenthood being selfless, but then every reason you hear about people procreating is the most twisted, selfish thing I've ever heard. Yeah. What about our family line? It's like, you seem <laughs> like a dud lady. Your decor in this house looks not good. You're you're both bland. You're both, I don't know. I think, it, I think you and your yeah. husband cut your losses. Don't spend a million dollars and go have fun. Travel the world. Get a hot air balloon. Get a Mercedes. I don't know. I'm just happy I was able to help keep the Logan family line alive. You know what I mean? We just (laughs) needed to keep going. (laughs) So Stabler's like, okay, so do you think someone that's against you stole the tank? Can we um, go through your hate mail? And they're like, we don't really go through the hate mail. We, we have, don't actually we, scrapbook our hate mail. We throw it away. <laughs> yeah. They're like ahead of um, mental health before mental health <laughs> became cool. Self-care babies. Love it. Um, and they actually don't know about VDL. So there's nothing else. Um, and then Benson is on my side and is like, um, do you think carrying the family name is worth putting Alicia through all of these treatments? And they're like, no, no, no. The original plan was not this. The period is a side effect of another treatment she's going through to stunt her growth. And they're like, wait, what you're saying is not making you sound better. Like they thought this was going to get them off the back. And they're like, wait, what? And they're like, well you know, she's only going to be more of a burden for us. So we're going to try to keep her pocket size. They're basically keeping her a mutant child. Is that rude to say? Yeah, I mean, they're stunting her growth on purpose. But listen, we're, I'm going to get into this with the true with the true story. So, oh, the true story is about yeah. this mutant yes. thing they're trying to create. Yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't use the word mutant, but yes, <laughs> I wouldn't either. To because this this girl is just like sick and trying to like chill, and then their their parents are like, "We're going to turn you into Polly Pocket and harvest <laughs> your eggs, and then I'm going to give birth to your babies." It's like. Like, these parents are yeah. twisted. This part, is, yeah, this part is twisted. The real story is interesting too. I'll tell Suddenly you. Suddenly, I'm pro eugenics. I'm like sterilize <laughs> this family. Like, they're nuts. <laughs> these people are nuts. And your family line. <laughs> so Sabler and Benson are pissed. They're like, you're so selfish. You're trying to keep her pocket size. And then they're like, her quality of life sucks. Like. She has bed sores. We can't keep flipping her over. So it's a real mess in this household. They walk outside. Benson starts calling CPS to get her out of there. Stabler's like, you're not a parent. You don't understand wanting to keep your sick child pocket size. So they're having a little argument about calling Child Protective Services or what's happening. 
And so Sandler's like, it's a nightmare. It's a bad situation. They are doing what they think is best for the child. And Benson goes, no, trapping her in a child's body forever is not cool. And then Sandler's like, parents have to make hard choices. They're not seeing eye to eye in this episode. He does try to bond with her and say, you would make a great mother. She says, oh my God, I am not having this conversation. And he reminds her, you're great with kids. And she goes, yeah, I know. And he revs up the end and then he could tell she does not want to talk about this. So then he continues and says, you should start thinking about having kids. You seem pretty old. No, he doesn't say that, but he does say you should start having kids Um, and that he will support her no matter what weird thing she does to have kids. And then she goes, shut up and drive. Hashtag Rihanna. So... (laughs) Now we're at a public library. This woman is a little person. And she's talking about how it's like humane to get rid of the defective embryos. And that some of her embryos had this illness that is rampant through the little person community. And then they did keep the healthy ones. But then the doctor refused to implant the healthy ones. And they're trying to get to the bottom of it. And basically, Chester and Finn are talking to the little person. And her and her husband are little people. And they wanted a little person embryo implanted. And the doctor refused and would only implant a normal-sized embryo. And Finn is like, you purposely wanted a kid with a disability? And she's like, size is not a disability. And we have normal lifespans and lives. Why shouldn't I be allowed to have a child that looks like me? Everyone else does. And that really does shut the detectives up. Yeah. That's a good point. Totally. Yeah, no, it is. Yeah, no, it's it's <laughs> it's true. I didn't realize that there weren't other like complications associated with that. So yeah, why the fuck not? So she's pissed. And then they're like, well, why didn't you, did you steal the tank? And she is fun. She's kind of a queen. I really like all these angry women whose embryos yeah. have been stolen. <laughs> and she's like, I think they would have noticed if the thief was four foot one. And so I really, really love her. And so we're back in the squad room and Cragen asks for more scoop and Munch is being a dick. And he he drew embryos in a Petri dish and goes, should I put an APB out for him? (laughs) So so we look at all the suspects. We have, you know, the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle parents. We have the fucking, um, the librarian with sass. We have Eva, who's more, like we just have a who's who of sadness. And there's also another batch of people that Munch found, the donor sibs, many mothers and only one daddy, donor 1029. Sperm donors are all anonymous um, and Munch is like, they could all be mine. And Finn Finn says, well, they don't look like freaks to me. (laughs) He goes, no, they're actually a fun looking bunch that may or that I may or may not have sired. And I don't, I do not like that term (laughs) at all. And then he says, Liv, if you're on the market, you can do worse than donor 1029. And then Benson calls Stabler an idiot and runs off. And Cragen asks the boys how the kids found each other. And there's a donor sibling search. And I actually know a guy who is a sperm donor and a Facebook group of women found him. And he is the father of a lot of children. Like, I think more than 15. And how does he feel? I don't know. I think he felt like kind of like it was weird, but he was like, actually some of the kids were reaching out to him and he was like, it's fine to have relationships with them. Like, I don't think he can provide for all of them. He's like a random guy who gave up stand-up comedy. He has a very successful career doing something else. But like, I don't think he wants to be the father of 20 kids, but it was very um, 
crazy that they all bonded together and then found him. I think it's weird. Yeah. I think it's weird that you're just jerking off in a cup at 19 for some cash and then all these people could be like, I need you. And it's yeah. like, get a life. <laughs> you know? I think it's like they all just want to know who their dad is. I don't know if they necessarily want like advice or like any kind of fathering. I don't know. But like, I don't know. I feel like you would, I would just. Maybe for medical history. Yeah. yeah. I love the movie. The kids are all right though. Yeah. I really love it. I love that movie. So Munch and Craig in chat, Finnett asks Stabler, what's up with Liv? And he's like, the case is getting to her. Benson meets Eva at a diner and she's crying. She wants an update. Liv's like, I can't really give you inside scoop about the investigation. Benson orders a coffee at night. Um, Of course, (laughs) why not? (laughs) She doesn't sleep. No. Eva's like, you're not going to find them, are you? And Benson promises not to stop until she does. And she's like, it'll be too late. She's like, fuck, I should have pushed the doctor to implant them right after chemo ended. Or she's like, I should have taken them a doctor who would. She's four months cancer-free and now infertile. And she thought she was getting a second shot at life and now this. And Benson's like, girl, I got you. I got you. And Eva's like... Time's running up. Shut up. I'm sick of this fake positivity. And Benson's like, well, what do you want me to do? (laughs) Like, I don't know. No, she asks, do you have kids? Benson says, no. Do you want them? Yes, I do. Very much. What are you waiting for? And then we cut to the office. We don't really have, uh, you know, we can't sit at the diner all day. So then Stabler wants to talk to Liv and she's like, just drop it. And Munch is like, hey, I got something. Finn, I want to show you something. So he's like, I've been trying to figure out when the thief came in. Watch this. So he matched up the exits and entrances. And Finn is like, so did somebody come in and didn't come back out? He goes, no. Everyone that day is accounted for. So he got in a different day. So basically they pull the tapes from that night and someone came in that night. So they go back to the cryobake to get some info from the cleaning crew and they talk to Enrique. And he's like, what do you want from me? And they confront him about the blonde and bring up his time card. And they're like, well, you punched in. So it says that you were there. So what's up? And he's like, I don't know. No one's supposed to be working. They threaten him. Music plays. He begins to spill the beans. Last week, she told me not to come in Sunday night, but that I could put in for it anyway. And they're like, who? It's the receptionist. Oh my Not the receptionist. (laughs) Benson's like, who was it, Carol? And she looks confused. They're like, who, bitch? Who? Who? And so it was her the whole time. You told Enrique not to show up last Sunday. They cuff her. She looks panicked. Her eyes get wet immediately. Where are they? Where are they? She's like, it was only supposed to be for publicity. They were supposed to bring them back today. Who? She's like, you don't get it. They called me. They sent me literature every day. They talked to me every morning on the way in. They finally got to me. They have a point. It's James and Victoria from VDL. So the redhead was wearing a wig. She was in. Benson says, nice values, huh? So James and Vicky are doing an interview live on the news. And so it's a very splashy arrest live on the news. Huge ratings. I'm sure this is what probably started YouTube. <laughs> it was Charlie bit my finger and this arrest and the all over. Arrest. <laughs> cuffing them, pulling them off as the anchor sits there mid-sentence. It's just like, she's like, okay. And clink, clink, bitch. Have fun in jail. And so they're in interrogation being annoying. They're separated. He's blabbing about how many frozen embryos there are. Just like, no one fucking cares. (laughs) 
And Stabler with a quick jab says, well, you reduced that number by 100. And he's like, they haven't been harmed. And it's like, well, no, time is running out. They will be harmed. And I know you don't believe in science, but it's very real here. So that's really funny because I didn't know Stabler believed in science. And Stabler's like, okay, but the ones you took aren't going to be implanted and you're destroying them. So like, what is the goal here? So Benson starts bartering with the guy and is like, well, we'll offer you a full press conference if you give us the embryo jug. And then it cuts to the other interrogation room where Chester and Finn are with the redhead. And she is just babbling on about adoption for embryos, okay? And then Chester decides to dig in and be extra. And he goes, well, this is great news because we have tons of gay and lesbian couples in the market. And she does not like that. And she goes, well, we mean suitable homes. <laughs> and Finn goes, yeah, straight, Christian, and white. And she's like, we're not racist. There are Christians of all colors. Um, so she, yeah, you can't be Jewish either. So it's like, wait, do you care about the embryos or would you rather the embryos not go to full term and not be with a gay person? You know what I mean? Yeah. These people are just so fake. I just hate everybody. So whatever. They're just like, they have no more patience. They're like, where are the embryos, Victoria? And she says, James already sent them back. And Finn goes, false. And their little clocks are ticking. Obsessed. I really like that. And so what's up? Where are they? So then it cuts back to the man and he's comparing himself. This is this is the third hobby, actually, of these types of people. He's comparing himself to Gandhi, yes. Martin Luther King, and Nelson Mandela. They love to do this, too. Self-aggrandization <laughs> is the third hobby. I forgot. <laughs> yeah. And Olivia is sickened by him and he won't tell them where they are. And Stabler's like, if you believe what you're saying, um, murdering all of them, like, I don't get what you're doing. And he says, they've already been returned. And Stabler goes, no, that's what I'm trying to tell you. If you can actually listen to anyone that is not yourself, they have not been returned. And whoever was supposed to do that didn't. And he goes, no, I overnighted them yesterday. Well, they didn't fucking arrive. And so now it's like a delivery psycho thing, like where they were sent to Pittsburgh and and back to New York and they're on the trucks and the delivery trucks and they're being held on hold and they're, they were scanned on 57th Street. And so it's like a mad dash through the city of New York chasing the truck on his route. Finn got the truck. They bust inside the truck because the delivery driver is like in the middle of a delivery. And so Stabler and Benson join. They're rifling the truck. There's all these boxes. They cut the box open. They got the tank. They're running down the tank. The driver's like, what the fuck, man? He was on the 24th floor. Um, and Finn's like, sorry, dude, there was an emergency. We couldn't wait. Tires are squealing. They rush in. The doctor tries to get the fresh tank. It doesn't look good. There's nothing left. Nothing is frozen. It's done. Ugh. They're all gone. They're all gone. So we're going to go arrest those religious goons. So Olivia goes to break the news to her friend, Eva, who's devastated. She's in so much pain. Olivia doesn't even know what to say, but sorry. Um, so they're at arraignment. Eva's sitting in the stand. Eva, Ava, I keep changing it. I don't know what you want from me. It's a wild name. So, she, you know, Eva's sitting in the stand. She's so depressed. And then the religious nuts are there and Petrovsky asks how they plead and the lawyer says not guilty. And Eva and uh, yells, they should be charged with murder. And obviously Petrovsky is like, remove 
remove the woman from the court, please. <laughs> so she gets removed. James agrees. And um, he's like, you know what? We should be charged for murder. And Petrovsky doesn't have time for this. She's like, are you changing your plea or what? <laughs> Novak's like, nah, they're just grandstanding for their own agenda. And he's like, no, if you were actually doing your job, you would seek justice for these lost souls. And then the redhead was like, it was just an accident. <laughs> and the judge is like, Mr. Hunter, control your clients. And he's blonde. And he's like, listen, life doesn't begin till the baby draws breath. And then the religious guy's like, at the moment of conception, <laughs> Novak's like, okay, but murder can't be like, you know, charged if it's a stillborn. So like, there's nothing I can do here. Yeah. Like, I can't charge them with murder. So then Blondie's defense is like, actually, we need to drop the charges from Grant to petty larceny since um, the clients are asking for the death penalty. <laughs> It's just funny. Like, the clients want to be put to death. And he's like, actually, petty theft, like lip gloss, <laughs> like lip gloss style. He Because he says human bodies cannot be sold for their monetary value. And Novak's like, no, each person went to the cryobank, spent thousands of dollars. This isn't going to work. And he's like, no, they paid for services. That's not a sticker price for an embryo. So Petrovsky is tired. She goes, this will be an issue for your trial judge. I don't care. You can argue about bail somewhere else. I just, 10 grand each, get, get away from me, gavel, gavel. Like, did she have, like, good, is she going to Cipriani's for lunch? <laughs> She's got to rest. Never, She's got to go. I've never seen Petrovsky so ready to get the fuck out of court. <laughs> She's usually invested. Like, it seems like she has tickets. She's going to a matinee. Maybe she and she's... has a poker game with all the female judges. Like her, Lois, <laughs> Elizabeth Judge Donald, uh, Judge Elizabeth Donnelly. They're all playing poker. Yeah, she's got to get out of there. Maybe Canasta yeah. or something. Mahjong. <laughs> yeah, Benson and Stabler come to chit-chat with Novak in the lobby as the religious couple argue about the press they just passed. And the wife's over it, and the husband is loving the notoriety. James approaches to ask the detectives for a favor. He's tried, but no one will give him the name of the parents. And Novak's like, it's none of your business. No one wants to talk to you. Nobody likes you. Get lost. But he wants to go to any funeral services, if anyone's having funeral services for the embryos that were lost in the tank. Stabler's like, nobody likes you and no one wants to talk to you. And Benson goes, actually, I disagree. And most of them are going to see you in civil court, bitch. And yes. so the lawyer is pleading for him to shut up, but he can't stop. He just can't. He's going to go talk to the press against his attorney's advice. His wife, Victoria, steps up and goes, I'm out. No, I'm not talking. He's like, okay, okay. But, but finally, people are paying attention. She goes, no. After what we have done, I can't look those people in the eye. He kisses her and says, I get it. Go home. I'll meet you there. She walks off and Saber's like, oh, trouble with the missus. And the lawyer Blondie's like, you should follow her lead, but he's too obsessed with himself. I mean, he is Nelson Mandela. So he rushes to the press. He's giving the interview. Benson and Stabler are walking down the court steps to talk shit about him. And now everything he says can be used against him in court. And Olivia is wearing a hoodie with a zip, like a zipper and a jacket, which is one of my favorite looks ever. <laughs> and as they're shit talking him, they hear a gunshot. It's chaos. Oh no, he's been shot. He's down. He's bleeding. No one saw the shooter. Olivia calls for a bus. Stabler says he's dead. Benson's gold necklaces and earrings are glimmering in the sun. And I don't care. This man has been shot. So now it's Eva. She's running to the precinct to catch Olivia. She And then Olivia's like, oh, thanks for coming in. And Eva's like, um, it didn't seem like I had a choice. So 
Hi. Liv's like, okay, it's just standard procedure. And she's like, really? You treat all of your victims like criminals? And she's like, you made a scene at arraignment and left the courthouse minutes before the murder girl. So someone's got to talk to you. And I thought you'd prefer it be me. And she's like, oh, really? Why? Because we've become such good friends, barren buddies, you know? <laughs> and Liv takes a second and just asks, um, can anybody vouch for your whereabouts? And she goes, no. And they're like, okay, well, until we find the killer, how about you don't leave the city? And she goes, no problem, detective. Oh, and she goes, no problem, Olivia. I'm sorry. I mean, Detective Benson. And now Benson joins the rest of the squad. This woman's like mad at Olivia for not being able to find the embryos that were stolen. I, why are you mad at Olivia? I'm so confused. We've got to talk to your ass, I guess, for hauling her in. But she seems mad at her in a personal way. I think she's just going through a lot. Yeah. That's true. Um, That's true. So <laughs> she did just lose out her her opportunity to have children ever. Yeah. Yeah. You know, she's just, she's only four months cancer free. She's going through a lot. <laughs> so now Benson joins the rest of the squad by the desks. And, and I just feel bad for Liv because again, it's just like- She can't she have a she friend. A friend. No, nope. She can't have no, a friend. No, I was thinking the same thing. No friends for Liv. She's like, oh, I met another, you know, hot woman with no good luck. Maybe maybe a friend. No. Liv has a bottle of cab, like burning a hole in her coffee table at home. And she's like, I just want to drink this with a friend. And it will, the show will not let it happen. So now Benson joins her fucking, these losers that she has to work with day in and day out. Cragen is shocked nobody saw the shooter. I mean, it was a full press conference. How did no one see? And Sabler's like, I mean, we were there. We didn't see it. But it wasn't a sniper. It was a small caliber handgun and it got fired from two inches away. So it was in the crowd of reporters and the shooting was recorded. It's on camera, but um, all we see is microphones and the gun was actually covered in a jacket. And so that's why we can't see anything. And we see that it is a guy. It's definitely not Eva. So we can cross her <laughs> she off can the leave list. the city. <laughs> yeah. She could, she could take the tunnel to Jersey. <laughs> So it must be somebody who lost an embryo, right? So do we recognize him? It's got to be him. Like, what's going on? We run the pick by the clinic. Uh, the doc hasn't seen him. They think he's lying. He's like, I don't know. Could I leave me alone. This doc has been nothing but helpful. And they are just suspicious and think he's lying the whole time. And he, again, has been nothing but forthright the whole time. Munch and Finn are looking at the TVs. He's watching Victoria skip away past the mob, refusing to speak to them. She then talks to the shooter. So they got on tape her talking to the shooter. It's no sound on, but they go talk to Victoria and she is really sad. You know, her husband's dead. They bring up that she didn't want to stand by him by the press conference and that rubs her the wrong way. She's like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> like, he just died. Relax. Why aren't you out there looking for his assassin? And they're like, well, we need your help. They show her the photos of her talking to the killer and her eyes open wide. And she's like, he stopped me on the street. He said, are you all right, ma'am? And he sounded sincere. And she said it was the first kind word that she had heard all day. He recognized her and heard about her troubles and he would pray for us. And she thanked him and that our, um, that our love and faith would get us through. And he didn't sound angry at that. He also said that everything would work out even though that they were going to go to prison and that she would be fine as long as she had James and that they had one another. And Benson and Sabler are in the hallway for yet another walk and talk. And it's like, oh, the punishment. That was your punishment. James is dead. And now you have to live without James. He wanted her to feel the loss that he now he felt. 
So they're like, it's definitely a father of one of the embryos. So then Stabler tells Benson, you got to know I didn't tell the guys about you wanting a baby. Um, That was just Munch being Munch. And he brings up her biological clock ticking again. (laughs) And she... And he finally, he's like, oh, I should shut up. And it's like, yes, just please shut up. And Benson's like, I looked into adoption. He says, that's great. She says, they turned me down. He goes, what? She's like, I'm single. I have no extended family. I work all the time. I'm not prime parent material. And he goes, they're wrong. And Benson says, well, you know, there is one person at the clinic we didn't show the shooter's picture to. Carol, the ex-receptionist. She knows everything. Fucking Carol. Fucking Carol. So they go to Rikers. Munch is there uh, to show the photo to Carol. And she's like, oh yeah, looks familiar. uh, She's shook by the news of her friend's death. But she says that doesn't make any sense. And Munch is like, okay, so you know him? Like, do you not know him? What's up? She goes, it must... It could be Kelly Ryland's husband. Um, she showed me a photo once and he's like, why wasn't he at the appointment if it was in vitro? Carol says, no, it was just eggs. She's a military girl and it was like an insurance policy. You know, it was the military egg case that we talked about earlier. And Benson and Stabler are knock, knock, knock at his apartment. They kick the door down empty spacious as hell. They find a loving photo of Scott and Kelly, Kelly's military photo. They keep searching the, um, through the, you know their belongings. Stabler finds the gun. He doesn't have it on him, which is good. They also find a notepad that says LaGuardia 245. No airline, just departure time. So they're checking the times. Everyone's going through. Munch is on the computer, clickety-clacking. Scott Ryland's not on any flights, though. Fuck, not departure. They do find what's going on. It's an arrival. Slow drumming. We're in a huge airport hangar. There's a hearse. It's all coming together. There's uniforms and flags. Scott is there. There's a casket covered in a flag, and that's being carried. And we see Kevin Kane, a.k.a. Bruno, from the current SVU uh, season, and a record holder of SVU. He's been in, like, he's played five separate characters in his reign on SVU. All with names. All with names. Not like policeman number one. They all have, like, full names. I know him most as playing a constant asshole on Inside Amy <laughs> Yes, he's good. A bad boyfriend, a dicky husband, a dick at work, um, a dick friend, a dick cousin. <laughs> if there's a dick on Inside Amy Schumer, it's him. The dick in, uh, what's the movie? I think you're pretty. You're pretty. I feel pretty. I'm pretty. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. So he starts talking to the detectives who are being chill. Um, not monsters. He, they're being, they're not flashy arresting him because um, they like it. It probably took a lot of restraint. He explains she just wanted to serve her country and it made her proud. She was a supply truck driver and uh, a suicide car bomber attacked her convoy and the hoopla and the media attention to those nuts who stole her eggs got him so mad because this is all that shows up for her and they get all of that. And, you know, and this is why she got her eggs frozen in case something like this happened and that he could have a kid and always have a part of her with him. He starts to cry. Um, You know, he was going to carry on her memory and care and somebody to know that she died a hero. And now he's fully bawling. Maloney takes a deep breath and he's thinking about letting him go. And Benson is sad. Stabler says a jury will understand what you went through but you're going to have to serve some time. And he's like, I don't care. My time already ran out. And it's like, honey, you look young. You can, you're, you can get married again. 
Stabler gently grabs his arm and they walk off. Uh, Benson follows and we see a salute happening and uh, Dick Wolf baby. So that's that. Oof. Yeah. No, not as many sad victims except for a dead religious man. And, but then that part ended up being so sad at the end. Uh, anyway, thank you for the recap, Lisa. We will be RB after these brief messages with some true shit. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Okay, so this episode is a little wild because, okay, I'll start with this. The case in the episode of little Alicia, the little girl who had severe brain damage and was being, having her eggs harvested by her parents, is some part of that is based on something called the Ashley X controversy. It's also known as the Ashley treatment, which refers to these uh, medical procedures that were performed on this child who is American from Seattle area named Ashley X is what she was called in the press. So Ashley was born in 1997 with severe developmental disabilities from static encephalopathy. And so she can breathe on her own. She can fall asleep and wake up on her own, but she can't sit up, roll over, hold anything, walk, talk, and she's fed via a tube. She is... However, alert and responsive to her environment, and she, they said, enjoys the music of Andrea Bocelli, who is a famous blind opera singer, which many of you learned was blind on this podcast for the first time. She maintained an infant mental state while continuing to grow physically. So kind of like in the movie, very separate from the episode though, in 2004 at age six and a half, she started to show signs of puberty, which is common in children with severe brain damage. It wasn't because she was on estrogen to to harvest her eggs. She just started to go through early puberty. And what they discovered was it does make these kinds of patients much more difficult to receive, to, to get care. Like, I mean, menstruation with a child who's in a diaper or an adult who's in a diaper, like does not sound fun. She wouldn't be able to explain her menstrual cramps or any kind of pain she was in to anyone because she can't communicate. And so her parents started exploring options and basically doctors stopped her growth. She started receiving growth attenuation through high doses of estrogen. She had a hysterectomy and she had breast bud removal, which was like, you know, the very beginnings of breast tissue when you go start going through puberty. She also had an appendectomy because like she would not have, if her appendix burst, which happens to all four of my brothers have had their appendix out, by the way, not me or my sister, but all the boys in our family. And she would not be able to say, ow, ow, my appendix burst. So that would, so they just took her appendix out, which makes sense. Basically it stopped her growth and her parents were like, this is to improve her quality of life, eliminating menstrual cramps and bleeding, preventing discomfort from large breasts, growing large breasts, which apparently run in Ashley X's family. And, um, um, she would also be a lot more movable for her parents and caretakers and less prone to bed sores. So 
And another um, benefit that they didn't anticipate that they talked about later is that Ashley had scoliosis. And if she had like large breasts and grew much taller, that would have exacerbated her scoliosis a lot. They also claim that with all of her secondary sex characteristics removed, she would be less vulnerable to sexual abuse by future caregivers when her parents were no longer around to care for her, which is something to consider, I guess. So the combination of these surgeries and the estrogen therapy got a lot of public attention because her doctor that performed the procedure wrote about this in like, I think the annals of pediatrics or something like that, like one of these pediatric journals and the media glommed onto the story and ran with it. And it became very public around 2006, 2007. And this is around when Ashley's like 10 years old. So her parents wanted to remain anonymous, but they did set up a blog that explained all their decisions. And they said a lot of people wrote to them. They got thousands of emails and that 95% of the emails they received supported their decisions. And they got responses from a lot of parents and caregivers of severely disabled children. So of course, the other side were disability rights advocates. There was a group called Not Dead Yet. And then there's a group called Frida, which is Feminist Response in Disability Activism. And they called the treatment, quote, invasive medical experimentation, and quote, mutilation and desexualization and a violation of Ashley's human rights. Another group called the Disability... Well, it's interesting to me because in the episode, I was so anti the parents. And in this real case, I'm so pro the parents. That's why. I, that's what I thought you were going to say. So I was like, give it, let me talk about it later. Because like... Yeah, here I'm anti-Frida. I'm like, fuck this group. Leave these parents alone. Yeah, well, these, the writers of the show took this case and then made the parents more hateable because they were harvesting the eggs to continue their family line. That's the opposite of what this family's doing. They don't want her to have menstruation. They don't want, they want her to just stop growing so that she's, it's easier to take care of her. And so... I guess the Disability Rights Education and Defense Fund said, quote, we hold as non-negotiable the principle that personal and physical autonomy of all people with disabilities be regarded as sacrosanct, end quote. So that was their statement. I thought was interesting was Arthur Kaplan, who was... Um, worked as a bioethicist at the University of Pennsylvania, said he criticized the treatment in an editorial on MSNBC and said that it's, quote, a pharmacological solution for a social failure. The fact that American society does not do what it should to help severely disabled children and their families. But like, that's a fact of, that's a fact. I mean, like, if you don't have money and you don't have the means, your child, if you pass on or something happens to you, your child with severe disabilities is just going to go into a state facility and could possibly suffer over being a larger size and not being as easy to take care of. I think that's their argument here. Plenty of other bioethicists supported the treatment and they wrote opinion pieces for Scientific Americans. So, you know, a lot of people are claiming it was like eugenics, mutilation, like Frankensteining a child. And obviously Olivia had like a similar reaction in the episode. And then after a year, Ashley's parents considered her treatment a success. She'd At that time, she had reached a height of 53 inches and was four foot, um, which is four foot five and a weight of 63 pounds. Her parents, five years later, after all of the controversy around 2012, they spoke to The Guardian in an interview, um, which I will, is cited in our sources. And that was when Ashley was about to turn 15. And she was 54 inches and 75 pounds. And so she'd grown like, you know, 10 or 12 pounds since the closer to the procedure. And that's the size of an average nine-year-old. So she's 15. She's probably going to remain the size of like a nine-year-old. They also said she's in good health. At that time, 2012, granted that was 10 years ago, um, she was only on one prescription drug for reflux. So she's 
living a life not assisted by a ton of medication and machinery or anything. And the family feels like they can take her on family trips, take her out places. She's a lot more, she can live a life with them. So the father had a a quote in um, this Guardian article in response to people saying that she wasn't being treated with dignity. And he said, quote, Ashley does not have the concept of dignity, but she does have a very real experience with pain and discomfort. What is meaningful to her is to be as pain-free and physically comfortable as possible. What is meaningful to her is to be able to enjoy those things she can enjoy, being with family, hearing music, cuddling. Ashley shows enjoyment for being included in family activities. She kicks her legs and orchestrates her arms. She makes little happy sounds. Her face radiates with smiles. We, however, care a great deal about our daughter's human dignity and feel that the treatment makes Ashley more dignified by providing her with a better quality of life, end quote. So that's the story. And I, as far as I can tell online, she's still alive um, and she'd be about 25, 26 at this point. And a lot of the, like what the, the dad was reacting to what a lot of people with from disability organizations were saying, and they're like, you're speaking from your like kind of level of disability. Like her level of disability is at like only 1% of the population like, or of dis- of, of disabled people even feel like have what she has as disabled as she is, not able to walk, talk, sit up, like really do anything for herself. So it's not like they're saying like, yes, anyone that's disabled, just stop their growth and keep them pocket sized. You know, like they're saying her specific condition. And I guess at the time of that article, six other kids um, had undergone the quote-unquote Ashley treatment. So it has been done a few more times. I think at the time, it was the first time it had ever been done. So SVU kind of ran with it, but they changed it to make the parents more, you know, television villainy. And then, so also obviously this whole episode gets into embryos and who gets custody of embryos and stuff like that. And the this show is like so prescient. Like it's just like, so it like predicts the future because there's a few major cases that have been gone on with like embryo custody. And this episode aired in what, 2008? And these cases are from like 2014. So like six years before this shit was all really, go- like a lot of this stuff was going to trial and was very public. This show was talking about it. So like, for example, the case with Stan and the ex-wife, the sassy ex-wife, um, it reminded me of Sofia Vergara, the actress from Modern Family, had a very public custody case against her ex-boyfriend where she was in a relationship with this guy named Nick Loeb. They were not married. They were just in a relationship. And they did in vitro together in 2013 and made some embryos together. And then they split in 2014. And he has been filing for years to get those embryos. And in 20... For what? So he can make children. What He wants to make, like, have a surrogate carry them and, like, make children that he can have. That's insane. And he's like, they're half my children. But... Why doesn't he make it with his new partner? That's wild. Uh, because... He wants her money. Because I, I don't trust he, him for a second. I don't trust him for a fucking second either, but I think this guy's religious because I'll tell you some things he says. So I guess in 2017, she filed documents in California to block him from being able to use the embryos without her written consent because they did sign an agreement called the form directive at the fertility clinic that agrees that both parties agree to do anything with the embryos. They have to have consent from both parties. He argues that he signed the form under duress. 
So whatever. In 2021, she won the case. And that- Oh, yay. Yeah. So she won in 2021. The custody of the embryos, they, like they are not, he cannot do anything with them. He said about the decision um, that the judge was, quote, very clearly in- influenced by Hollywood, which is a pattern I expose in my upcoming film, Roe v. Wade. End quote. It's like nice promo for your movie, dude. Like I think he, I think that's like a um, pro life like doc or something that he worked on. And he went on to say, "quote It's sad that Sophia, a devout Catholic, would intentionally create babies just to kill them." End quote. So he's like a person from this episode, you know, who's like, "These are my babies," and like, it's interesting because I do find like I side with her. I'm like, yes, you can't like go away without her. But then there's another case where the details are different that I'm going to tell you about. He, this guy, by the way, before I wrap up this, lo, this guy, Nick Loeb, also tried to get custody of the embryos in Louisiana, which you think, uh-oh, he, that could work. And he created a trust in Louisiana to give the embryos legal status. But even Louisiana was like, dude, get the fuck out of here. So even Louisiana did not grant him the, the ability to do this. Meanwhile, this is another case in Arizona that was unfolding as well in like the late 20 teens. And um, it involves Ruby Torres and her ex-husband, John Terrell. So Ruby had cancer, much like Gabrielle Anwar's character. But again, this is all unfolding eight years after the show did this episode. It's so wild. And she decided to create some embryos because of her cancer. Her She originally went to her boyfriend at the time, John Terrell, and said do you want to give me sperm for this? And he said, no, but then he agreed. So I don't know if that says anything about his state of wanting to be a father. They went to a fertility clinic, signed all the documents that called the embryos joint property. And then four days later, they got married. They then did in vitro together and created seven embryos. But before they could be used, John filed for divorce. Now, Ruby wants the embryos because cancer has left her unable to conceive in any other way. And John said he doesn't want to have children with Ruby and that, to me, that's his right, but he wants the embryos to be donated to another couple. So he's okay with the embryos being born. He just doesn't want his ex to be able to raise her own children. And I don't know if he presented some kind of argument to the court that she is an unfit, would be an unfit mother, but that seems so spiteful to be like, my ex who only has this one chance to have children, whereas he could have children with anyone he wanted, can't have them because... I don't want her to be a mom with my kid. I, I mean, he wants random people to raise this kid, like and like anyone that's you know goes through the egg donation adoption process or whatever. So at the time that this is all unfolding, the Arizona government steps in with a new law that directs judges to grant viable embryos to any spouse who will allow them to be born, regardless of any contract providing otherwise. So. I thought that this would have affected Sofia Vergara's case if it was if um, but it only applies to married couples. So this guy Nick Loeb would still be out of luck. But still, a married couple that gets divorced in Arizona, if they if Sofia Vergara and her guy had been married in Arizona, like they could this guy could easily take these embryos. This is what this new law says. But it does not actually even apply to the case of Ruby and John that I'm talking about because it was enacted into law after their shit happened. So it wasn't retroactive. So eventually a judge did rule that the embryos could not be used unless agreed to by both parties, which is like the same ruling in Sofia Vergara's case, but I like hate it in this case because I feel like this guy's just being like a selfish dick and being power hungry because he doesn't mind if the kids are born. He just doesn't want her to have them. And 
I read this interesting quote by Dr. Art Castlebaum, who is a reproductive endocrinologist, and this is his advice for women. He says, quote, most patients that I evaluate for fertility preservation will survive their cancer. Not all relationships do. I encourage all women undergoing fertility preservation to take sole custody of their embryos. These embryos may be her only hope to conceive in the future. If at all possible, I also recommend, quote unquote, surf and turf, which is freezing some embryos created with your current partner's sperm and also freezing a additional eggs for future use. So that's the advice from Dr. Castlebaum. And I just thought those were, obviously those are not, those last two cases are not what the episode's based on, but like the episode basically predicted so many cases of embryo custody, which is going on all the time now. Damn. Yeah. So that's that for me on that. These vindictive dudes, it's like they just, I mean... I think that's the core of all patriarchy shit. It's like they can't control this one thing and it's like that's all they that's the all they want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And it's totally I think that the last case, the Ruby case is totally the inspiration for Stan. It's just like a vindictive ex. Like they're not asking for anything from you. Just let this person yeah. who had fucking cancer have a child. And I'm who sure, she, if you think they're I'm sure she was like, I'll sign any document that you want that I'll never ask for money and I'll never like, you know, ma- make you any kind of responsible person for this child. Just let me be a mom. Control. Yeah, don't marry people. It's like, <laughs> it's so fucked I up. know, super fucked. Hope maybe he'll change his mind. I mean, who knows? It's like, but it's really fucked up. Oh, it's just so scary. It's fucking psychopaths, psychopaths everywhere. Yeah. Okay, well, our guest isn't a psychopath. Do you love that? What a seamless transition. Seamless. Well, you guys are going to love this guest. Sit right where you are. Our guest today is an actor who has played a plethora of assholes. You may know him best from his work with Amy Schumer on Life and Beth and Inside Amy Schumer. He currently has a recurring role on SVU, excuse me, as Detective Terry Bruno. He's played five different characters on SVU, but... Today, you know him as the tortured widower, Scott Ryland. Guys, we had the best time chatting with Kevin Kane. Give it a listen. We're so lucky, SVU royalty. We think that you've played the most amount of different characters. We really do. There's been a lot. There's been a lot. Sometimes I forget about some of them and somebody reminds me of one. I mean, you've shot someone on courtroom steps. You've held someone hostage. You've worn a big hat. You were a racist cop on the stand, and now you're uh-huh. like a regular. I mean, you've had like such a nice bingo of parts. <laughs> yeah. So cool. Yep. And now I you're did, Bruno. That's true. Yeah. I did two. Yeah, I did. I actually did two of the old Law and Orders when I first mm-hmm. moved to New York. So I did that as well. That's so. I sometimes I confuse which one was which over the years, but. We're SVU diehards. So how did Bruno come about? They're just obsessed with you? I. Which is really funny because I auditioned, I, I, you know, they would just ask me to do episodes, but there was one they asked me to come in on an audition for because Mariska was directing it. And uh, it was the one where I held the DA hostage in a bar, but she was directing it. It was like a long scene and a monologue and she just wanted to see people do it. So, so I did that. And I feel like, you know, when this, this Bruno role came around, she was like, you know, poking for, cause we, 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 we clicked and we had such a great time. But I remember specifically 
during this audition explaining to her this particular episode you guys were talking about which one I was in before and really confusing her with the premise. Like she was really, <laughs> she was like, oh, okay. Sure. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, because it's not the only sperm bank embryo episode. That's true. That's yeah. True. yeah, it's, yeah, it's, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I think that's <laughs> currently my favorite thing is to listen to her and Ice go, oh, remember the one with the, and I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, your iced tea's partner. It's like, is that mind boggling? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's got a podcast. Um, it, have you guys listened to it? Kara's like a, a huge fan. Kara's Wait, is it the final level podcast? Because I thought he stopped it's, doing it. It's really short. Like, it's like a quote of the day, and he gives you the story about, you know, oh, where okay. it came from. Oh, okay. I think this from. might be a new one. I used to listen yeah, to his it's a old new podcast. He had oh, yeah. another podcast called The Final Level that I loved and he would interview really interesting people and I really liked it. Yeah, it's um it the the, the new one is 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 like a little sampling of what it's like to do a scene with him because he'll <laughs> say something and he'll tell you the story of where it came from and I'll, and I and I'm just enraptured every time. <laughs> Can you share wow. any ice cold facts? I mean, he's got a no, because there he's got one every day. He's got one every <laughs> day and and uh i think that he's just he's kind of like the always ever bright light in the room like he's always like in the best mood he's always like not taking anything anyone seriously and just like just making it a great time so he's he's the one everybody kind of gravitates when he starts to talk yeah um so so terry bruno is like a series regular now or like what's the story I don't know. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. It I've feels like a, it's headed that way. I, I've I've done a couple that haven't aired. I'm going to go do one more in a couple of weeks. Yeah. Cool. We'll see what happens. We yeah. always I just like, love it. I love this rich guy. It's like what the <laughs> squad needed. Someone to throw yeah. money at people. I just love it. Yeah. I, trade watch for evidence. <laughs> my favorite part is that he's a rich guy, but that always has cash on him. He's always got a stack of cash. We talk about a lot on this podcast about how like the first like the munch seasons were really funny because they had this comedian on there and I, yes. we, we were talking about how like you're adding a little bit of comedy back into it like these current seasons because I feel like your characters got like a little bit of humor right yeah it's 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 been fun it's been fun David Graziano is like really he's just like a really smart funny guy and like you know it, it, he's got a lot and but he's like a Brooklyn guy you know so mm -hmm. So I think it comes out a little bit. He uses kind of Bruno to Fred to, you know, a street guy that can like quote some Shakespeare every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Um, Looking at your, you know, you play a lot of cops and then on Inside Amy Schumer, you do play a lot of assholes. And in- A lot, um, lot of assholes. <laughs> and then um, Life After Beth, he's such a dick. Like what? But you you seem so nice. And like, we talk to our friends who know you and you just seem so great. Like what? Cops and um, dicks. What ha What is it? Yeah. Do you think you I have think cop it, face? I, I, I'm just Irish. I think that's just like a punishment, <laughs> you know? Yeah. <laughs> but with Amy, like Amy and I have been, Amy, Amy and I have been working together for like, Jesus, Sixteen years, um, and we know each other really. We always say like we know where the bodies are buried with each other. So <laughs> she always, and I'm quoting her. She says, "I always put me myself out there as a piece of shit, but everyone thinks you're a nice guy. So whenever we have a chance to 
do something together. She's like determined to make everyone sees the piece of shit that I am. So, <laughs> so, so, so yeah, so this is, it's, it's intentional abuse. I suffer all the time. <laughs> what makes you guys such good, like artistic partners for so long? Um, you know, we trained as actors together and we started a theater company together and we used to do these like comedy fundraisers um, cause she was, she was at that point of stand up where she didn't have, she didn't need six people to get on stage, you know, she was just <laughs> at that point right before last comic standing. And, uh, and you know, we would start throwing these comedy fundraisers and we just kind of hustled together and we would just, we grew up uh, very similar and we just kind of share the same brain sometimes, which is really dark sometimes that we don't share, but, uh, comedically it works. <laughs> And I think, I think really it's like um, we would put these comedy shows together in a way to fundraise for serious theater. So for me, comedy was just like a thing that was like, oh, you want to do this? All right, let's just do it. Like I just kind of like it wasn't begrudgingly, but it was just kind of bumbling and stumbling finding myself there, you know? Yeah, totally. Okay. So, okay, wait. So let's get back, back to, to some SVU. <laughs> and how's working with Mariska? She's, she's great. She's, yeah. she's, she's, you know, I don't know when you get like a number one on a show and especially a show that's been on that long, like she, she like, she, she gives so much of a shit for every scene. Like she's in it. She's ready to fix things, change dialogue, whatever makes it better. And she's still enthused every day to make it the best it could be, which is really, which is really nice to be around from coming from a show, like making a show where you're like, all that stress is on you all the time. Yeah. But, you know, you're like, okay, that's. It's your job to figure out. Go for right. it. You know? <laughs> right. Do you ever watch anything you're in? Uh, I mean, sometimes the stuff here we're editing. So I have, like, I kind of force at gunpoint to watch. Most times I don't. Um, so, but what about these current, like, Bruno episodes? You watching those? Uh, yeah, because they'll show me things or I have to go do ADR and I'm like, have yeah, to watch yeah. them and all that stuff. So, so yeah, yeah. Um, I But I will watch the ones in between that I'm not in just to kind of catch up with what's going on. Right. And see see everybody else. I love watching their scenes. Oh my god. Well, do you remember where you guys shot that airport, like the big hangar? That seemed like a big set. I feel like it was like like a, a small airport up in Nyack is what it was. Oh, that makes sense. And and uh it was active and busy and loud. And at the time, as like a starving actor, Chris Maloney said the most beautiful thing. And he says this place is a fucking mess. You're going to get another payday out of this in the booth. And I was like, <laughs> and all I could think about was like, I'm going to get more money. I'm going to work another day on here. You know? And I did. I have to go re-record so many lines. Like, Oh my God, that's Maloney? Great. Any other Maloney memories? Well, I remember it was when we were, this is what I do remember the episode. I remember that, um, I remember that uh, particular airport scene. That script was approved um, pre a writer strike that year. So the writers went on strike. And so we were shooting that script and like you had to verbatim, like you couldn't change a word. Like that was the agreement. Like you shoot shot exactly that script. So I remember it being a tightrope of like, you know, you get a note about a contraction and things like that. It was like very, very, very... And he, there were lines like he just didn't want to say. And so I remember him 
I remember him just like kind of like making a weird face or something like that. So they, he, they wouldn't use that line. And I just kept watching. I was like, Oh, that's pretty like, he's, he was like making the cuts for him in his head. And I, I, I remember, uh, I remember that specifically. I got to work with him a few years later on a movie we were doing called Snatched. And, uh, I brought it up to him, but he, he did not remember. <laughs> I took it with him. Well, we hear he's like a really intense actor and very focused and always stretching. Is he sillier when he's on a snatched type set and doing comedy? Or uh, still intense? No, I don't remember him as being intense on snatched. I think he was just having fun. It also wasn't his element. You know what I mean? He was coming in. He would get to come in and have a good time. And it was like, it was, it was crazy. It was like Goldie Hawn was on set. It was like a whole thing. So sometimes, I don't know, I witnessed him just have a great time. Yeah, I see that your character's name in that movie is Hot Guy, which is that's nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. You gotta, you gotta like that when you get an offer. I, 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 if if you if you if you watch it though, still a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, well you can go down, and then you were full uniform. Oh, were you on the courtroom steps in Inconceivable? Did you okay. shoot that? Because you did. This is my. This oh, yeah. is my. This was another one where I'm like. I'm going to like, I'm going to do my preparation. I'm going to kill a man. I'm going to do, you know, I was like really, like really prepped and really like I was in the mindset of just murdering a human being. That day, you know? and I just was going to be so cool and dramatic. And, and when we get to the court, you know, the steps they had all these like kind of journalists and they were trying to hide me a little bit because they catch me on like a surveillance cam or something. I, I remember this like, um, but there's a rule, like you can't even have a prop gun on the courthouse steps and you can't make a noise. So here I am. And I, I was the cue for all the like kind of reporters to duck and cover and run and scream and all that stuff. So I literally had to like go up to the steps, really get myself there. Like I'm going to kill this man and put my fingers out and scream the word bang. <laughs> to cue everybody. It was just like the most deflating and like, like it was. They had it you was, use a finger gun? That's wild. Finger gun, bang, and then that was it. Wow, that's some inside scoop. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, I, wow. uh, I do. So I, you remember, like, you know, you're daydreaming about it the, the day before. What's it going to be like? How are you going to look? Right. Are you gonna, you know, are you, how are you going to shoot the guy? You know? <laughs> yeah, like practice your go- hold on the gun. Yeah, like yeah. How, how should I hold it this way? This, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's so good. Oh, my God. Well, I'll, I would like to move to Nationwide Manhattan, where <laughs> you're in a big... When you have that big highway patrol hat, it's raining, there's wind, you're having yeah. to, like, talk to everyone. Can you tell us about that? That seemed, like, exciting to shoot? Fun? Yeah, I remember... Cool hat? It was, just, <laughs> it was just one of those times where you, they asked me to do this role... And then I got up there and then they, I'm like, they're putting the costume on. And I'm like, I was like, I, did Jonathan mess up? Was this, was this supposed to be for somebody else? Like I didn't, like it just, I, I just remember looking at myself in this hat. And I'm like, is this, is this me right now? Like, I don't know, <laughs> but it, I, it was fun. It was a fun, uh, work with Peter, which is always a great, great time. He, he's just, 
how that man didn't end up in comedies is is uh, is beyond me because he just people just sit back and let him go on set. And uh, yeah, it was just uh, running through like these neighborhoods near like Sing Sing Prison. It was it was a great time. I can't believe you were in Sing Sing. And was it really yeah. raining or was that fake rain? It was real. So was yeah. that written in the script I've, or I've that kind of or learned they just that, with it? I've kind of learned that like on SVU, it's been something that I've quietly kept to myself, but like, you know, like on these other shows I'm doing, like, it's like, here's the weather report. We're going to be there. Like, it's raining. You're going to have this and you just go. They don't, they don't, they don't stop for anything. No, it's raining in this scene now, you know? Oh, so that wasn't even planned. I don't think so. No, I think it just kind of worked out that way. Cool. Yeah. We did this one with the, this season with the ambulance driver. Oh God. Yes. And I just ended up looking so cool on those locations. It was just, and just cause it just happened to be raining and coming off the street and everything. And it was kind of cool. Like it just, that's the way it worked out. That one really fucked Kara up. Yeah. That episode was fucked up, man. (laughs) Just like the cold open. Like she didn't like that the leg was up. It yeah. was very graphic for a cold open. Like you just you just settled into the episode and it's like boom. <laughs> like it was really I kept making Molly laugh making uh during that episode because I kept really trying to understand the timeline of this guy whose wife cheated on him. So what he decided to do was yes. go to an auction, outbid <laughs> somebody for an ambulance, and then go online, buy the equipment buy the uniform, the correct patches, and then figure out how to stop traffic lights. Yeah, and then figure out how to jam traffic lights. Like that rage to get revenge for his wife was burning so long. Yes. And propelled. (laughs) And then at the end, he's just like, she doesn't love me anymore. Like, it's wild. It's like a wild episode. (laughs) Um, but I'm glad, I'm glad I'm not the only one that was like, what's going on? Okay. (laughs) Well, you've been with all the guys, like Maloney, you met Danny Pino or maybe not. And then Scanavino. Do you have a favorite SVU hunk? (laughs) Scanavino? An SVU hunk? Yeah. Who's your favorite? I mean, Ice. 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 Yeah. You got to vote Ice. Yeah. And I think Peter would would vote that too. <laughs> we were we went to his um star on the walk of fame ceremony a few weeks ago. Oh, did you? Yeah, and we Kara snuck us into the press area cuz the fan area sucked and I was like we got to get <laughs> we got to get closer and she got us in and it was we, Yeah, we we had a blast. <laughs> we, yeah. And then yeah, Marishka was breathtaking. I don't know how you like are next to her all the time being directed. It was just kind of we both felt overwhelmed. But I guess you're working. We were overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. She's, you know, I, I don't know. Her and I. She was glammed just, up too. She was really glammed yeah, up yeah. for the event. So we were like, whoa, you know. Yeah. Because we I'm were sure. standing and she walked by and we like, we both wanted to say something and we both just kind of like, we just couldn't. We waved quietly. <laughs> I, you know, her and I just clicked on this episode where she, because I was like the guy that she had a, really sit with and direct and all that stuff. So we, we bonded years ago and stayed in touch. And, you know, I, um, her and her husband do these amazing Christmas cards. Like they put a lot of effort into it. And, and I felt very privileged to get on the Christmas card list Ooh, after that episode. The Christmas so, card uh, list. So I, you know, I've been 
I've known him for a few years now. Um, but uh, well, when the Instagram. That was a big moment when she yeah. wore the Bruno shirt. That Instagram really rocked the SVU fans, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> we, I, uh, I, I had a, you know, someone came up to the trailer and was like, hey, could you, Marushka wants to come by. And she's like, oh, actually, could you go to her? You know, and I'm like, oh, she probably wants to change the scene. She's, something's bumping her. Like, we're, you know, we're going to fix it. We'll figure it out. You know, so we do that all the time. You know? And then. I, I open the door and she's she's got her jacket and she just spins around with her <laughs> Bruno shirt on. She's like, we got to take a picture. <laughs> well, the one that she directed you in is intense. Well, you, at first you think you're going to be the classic like piece of shit husband who's like, we're not pressing charges. And then you're a really extra supportive husband. How was that monologue with the gun? Like being, was that intense? You also had one line that kind of, you're crying, but you wrote, you say, but to me, she's a goddess. And was that like um, a funny line to have to say very seriously while crying with a gun? <laughs> <laughs> it it probably bumped me because I have no recollection yeah. of that line. Okay. You know, I probably would have remembered it if it if it stayed with me. You know, <laughs> but I do have this. If I turn my video off, is there a photo? Oh yeah, I see you holding a beer with a gun. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, my yeah. god, <laughs> love it. Because my brother uh, screen captured that. He goes, this is you every time someone says they're leaving when you're at a bar. With <laughs> I love that. That was definitely me in my 20s, too. I'd be like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, my God. That's so funny. I wonder how much jail time he got. All of your characters are complicated, these guys. They're very you know? complicated. You know, they're in cuffs, but you feel bad. It's it's a tough thing to do on that show. So you have a five year old, and then you just had another baby. No, I had oh. just a five year old. Oh, just a five year old. Oh, I thought yeah, somebody. Yeah. Okay, I thought. Well, we... I said baby because I thought it was a baby, and my bad. It's a five year old. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This was amazing, and we know where to find you. Life at um life, life and Beth and SVU currently. That's amazing. Currently, that's it. I I. I I'm sleeping little. I love it, though. That's this is so great. I mean, I hope we hope that uh, Bruno's around for a while. We like him. Yeah, oh, it's cash. fun. I, 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 yeah, yeah. Just, just my wad of cash. It's like the props they <laughs> they hand me your badge, your gun, and they hand me a money clip with a lot of hundreds. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was thrilling. We talked to somebody from a trailer for the first time. I think that's the first trailer interview we've done. We also talked to someone for the first time who's currently appearing on the show. Like, I mean, we've talked to Kelly Giddish and she's kind of in and out, but we haven't talked to somebody who's like a current possible future regular. I feel like they're gonna... And I keep saying this and I will never stop. He is also, I think, the record holder of playing five different characters on this show. Yeah. And yeah. in different hats, different full personalities. He's not just a loose bailiff, which is also cool. No knocking, yes. but I'm just saying, like, full realized characters with lines. Like, the SV, Dick Wolf universe loves him. If you know somebody who's done six separate characters, who who matches him at five or beats him at six, please write us. Well, us we have a mole on the inside who definitely has a connection with Jonathan Strauss. So, <laughs> she, she, you know, if anyone has the she inside can let us scoop, know. it's yeah. Jonathan. So, or yeah. uh, Julie Martin does the rest. Or is she a producer? I always forget the... 
title cards. Who's who? But she's a producer, Julie Morton. But not. what? What's our post mortem on this fucking episode? That there's people are desperate to have children and they go to a lot of wild lengths to do it. Um, and then there's psychopath religious nuts that are on the sidelines that will not. Um, let other people do what they want. I don't like their opinions matter more than everyone. And it's like, you have these beliefs yet you then murder based on your beliefs. You deserve life in jail. Yeah. You did the wrong, like you you went against your beliefs. If you believe so deeply that life begins at embryos or whatever, and then you're going to steal a fucking vat of embryos, don't use FedEx to bring them back. Like, I don't know, hand deliver. Let's get like, they, they melted in because they got lost on a UPS truck. Isn't that they what happened? They didn't want accountability. They didn't want no. to get in trouble. They, they wanted to wash their hands clean of it. I mean, to not even do a courier service. To fuck, you're right. Yeah. To do just fucking UPS. Hire one of your fanatic religious people to wear a, like a hoodie and run in and drop off the vat. I mean, it's like, what you did overnight shipping, like wild. Um, it's but- so fucked. It's really fucked up this episode. And to like, do all this, the pain and science of taking all these embryos, implanting them in someone. Maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. When you're against gays and lesbians adopting, when mm-hmm. you're against non-Christians adopting, when you're not helping children that are alive and well that need help, it's it's mental illness. This is not, yeah. you're not a good person. It's just, it's mind boggling. I don't understand. It. Yeah. It's like a cognitive dissonance that we can never really wrap our heads around. Cause it's, it's just so insane. Um, but I, I, in vitro, like this episode's so wild because it's from season nine. But like now I just feel like in vitro is so uncontroversial. Like it's just, it's all the time. It's half the people I know that are conceiving. That's what they're doing. And, but I will say fighting over embryos, there's all this like new, like cultivating eggs from your disabled daughter. I mean, there's a lot going on in this episode that is controversial. Yeah. And the reasoning with that mom was strange about like the lineage and your name died. Get over yourself. Yeah. Why can't we all get over ourselves? I don't get that either. Right. It's like, it's okay. Your name means nothing. Like even people whose names mean so much are not remembered. Right. Like, even some of the greatest Some of the greatest heroes, heroes. authors, they're only known by people that are, like, very well-versed in history. I mean, really, it's, like, not... Yeah, it is wild, the whole, I want to continue my family name, my or my my bloodline. Bloodlines. I'm against it all. It's it's really, um, it's really strange. You should only have yeah. a kid because you really want to raise a cool kid. I don't like. I don't know because yeah. you want to raise a child. You should only want a child because you want to raise one. Yes. Yes. That's it. That's it. Yeah. There it should, should not be, be a- nothing else. Yeah. 
Not to give someone grandkids, not for someone to take care of you, not because Jesus, not because that's what you're supposed to do, not because it's a wife duty. Not because you're (laughs) in a bad marriage and you think it's going to fix things because I'll tell you something, you're picking the wrong Band-Aid, bitch. Um, Not because you want to see the world again through someone's eyes. Yeah. Not because- Live vicariously, have the opportunities you never had. Yeah. Not because unconditional love- not yeah. none of no none of those reasons. <laughs> like it's only because you want to raise a child. I, yeah, it, it should be the only reason. But yeah, I you know I guess that's hard. Because I think no, I guess dogs want to eat. I'm like, because if you want unconditional love, you can get a puppy. That's oh, that's true. what I wanted to talk about. I knew there was one more thing. Have you heard of the show Jury Duty? Yes, I want to watch it. People are, won't stop talking about it. Casey put his hand over his heart to do the Pledge of Allegiance to jury duty. Um, <laughs> so I did something sick. I only watched four episodes and then I went and watched just the last episode because I wanted <laughs> to see how it ended and then I'll watch the rest of it for fun. I just needed to know. But um, Where do I, I watch it? On Amazon? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Okay. Yeah. You, I think you just have to watch like one commercial about Freebie or something. Like, I kept seeing clips and being like, is this real? Like, I love what the, whatever they're doing, how they're playing with it, like being kind of real is like funny. And so, I love that. So I guess, well, I read, a, I read a bunch about it and then everyone fell in love with the guy. So it's based, what they were inspired by was a show from back in the day called Joe Schmo. Do you remember it? Where basically it's like, everyone's a paid act. Everyone is in on it except one guy. Like Truman Show. Yes, exactly. But this one guy, Ronald, it's like a test to him and they keep pushing him, but he's an angel. Like they keep referring to him as like the hero because he's like, the whole thing is these people are supposed to drive him mad, but like he ends up being like the sweetest, nicest, angel of a man and then on top of it he's 6'6 six, six, and I he has a corgi so <laughs> he's like just kind of this like sweet guy and um Kirk Fox who's a comic is in it and so I messaged him I'm like bring Ronald to the comedy store <laughs> and he goes I've brought him he's too sweet uh, he goes, he's too sweet, um, but I have brought him, um, but none of you knew. Like, no one knew who he was yet. So I don't know if Kirk's going to bring Ronald back or not, or if we're just all too thirsty for Ronald. But the the clip that everyone fell in love with, and the, I just needed to see the end. Casey was horrified. I'll watch the rest of the fun, but, like, I just had to know how it ended. But, like, I I knew the bailiff, too, from Chicago days, and there's another L.A. comic who's in it who I don't know, but a lot of people have been posting. But one of the sweetest things, and James Marsden is wildly in it, playing James As Marsden. Himself. Yeah, yeah, because it's jury duty. But like, there's times where he could throw people under the bus and he doesn't. He like, they just, and he found it, this opportunity through Craigslist. And out of thousands of people, they're like, he's the guy. And he ended up just being this angel of a man. Oh, yeah. Mecky Leaper's on it, and he's That's doing my show one. tomorrow night. You yeah. got to talk to him about Ronald. Text him right. now to bring Ronald and bring the, <laughs> and bring the corgi. Um, and so, but people want him to be the new Bachelor. And I'm like, he's too sweet. He, we can't have him be the Bachelor. Is he hot? Yeah. 
Okay. Yes. Yes. He's very hot. Okay. He's, he, but I mean, if he was a dick, I don't know if he'd be as hot, but he's 6'6". So I think people like that too. He's like, Right. Well, uh, when you said that, I was assuming he was kind of hot, but. Yeah. No. Do you, look him up. Look up Ronald. Oh, yeah. He's cute. <laughs> yeah. Ronald. Oh, he's got that corgi in a backpack and I love that. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but the scene that everyone's falling in love with him. So they created a character. Me, me, no, it's another weirdo, but. It's like this guy who wants to be an inventor and all his inventions like suck, right? Like, and they keep causing problems. And he's supposed to be like kind of a serial killer, like guy who's into body horror shit and inventions. And he's supposed to creep this Ronald guy out, but Ronald befriends him. Ronald's like not creeped out at all. And then there's like, this is blown up on TikTok and this is why everyone fell in love with Ronald. Ronald shows him a bug's life to show him that like, he's like the ant and he's just misunderstood and he's an inventor that wants to like help and like oh my God. that he can help everyone. So everyone's just like in love with Ronald. But my favorite scene is this one guy's like walking past him and is like, I'm just going to jerk off real quick. And Ronald's like, well, you got to do it while there's time. And then later he like, is quiet about it. I mean, he just like, he there, He just keeps taking the fall and helping everyone. And like the cast, once it's revealed, because I just went to the last episode, I couldn't wait anymore. Like the cast falls in love. And I think he's still friends with everyone and he's hanging out with everyone and everyone just loved him so much. And they gave him a cash prize at the end too. But then they show wow. him where all the cameras were. And then it's like also the greatest improvisers of all time because they had to be these characters... And and then when, like, he would be, uh, like, they would lie to him. They'd be like, the COVID tests aren't back. That's when everyone would go and rehearse. Like, they would take them to restaurants, and all of that was fake. Like, the restaurants were fake. The servers were, everyone was an actor but him. That's so fucking crazy. It is so cool. But the fact that he's this angel is, I guess, I want to rewatch this Joe Schmo show, too. Yeah. Because you don't see nice people. Um, Because it all hinged on this, like, dude. Let's get Ben Schwartz and Ronald together. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, yeah, I think you guys would like, I hopefully I didn't ruin too, I mean, everyone knows the concept. I don't think I ruined it too much. I just made this episode even longer. So, Kara, take it away. listen, that's our recommendation for the week. Let's move on to What Would Sister Peg Do, our weekly segment where we point you to an organization or a blog post, podcast, something that has to do with today's um, topic. Uh, Lisa actually spotted this group on Watch What Happens Live. And it's an organization called Chick Mission. And the mission of Chick Mission is to, quote, ensure every young woman newly diagnosed with cancer has the option to preserve fertility through direct financial support, educational programs, and advocacy efforts. Like 40 out of the 50 states think that fertility preservation is an elective procedure. But if you want to have kids and you're diagnosed with cancer and you lose your ability to do that, it's not it's hardly elective. So um, what reps from this organization do is um, they offer all this advice on advocacy and all these programs. So we did catch them as bartenders on Watch What Happens Live. They've stood behind the same hallowed bar as we have. And uh, if you guys want to check them out, that's the chickmission.org for more info and you can donate there as well. That's amazing. Thank you. And thanks to Watch What Happens Live for doing all the important work that we need. 
forever and always. <laughs> no, Andy gets involved. Okay. And next week's episode is Parole Violations. That's season 16, episode 17. Um, please join us. Watch along or don't. If you do, that's Peacock Hulu. Um, give us, you know, some five stars, a review, see us live, follow us on Instagram. Yeah. What else? What else? We're yeah, obsessed that's with it. you. It's Follow done. us, guys. We love you. Come see us live. Bye. That's Messed Up is an Exactly Right production. If you have compliments you'd like to give us or episodes you'd like us to cover, shoot us an email at thatsmesseduppod at gmail.com. Follow the podcast on Instagram at That's Messed Up Pod and on Twitter at Messed Up Pod. And follow us personally at Kara Clank and at Glitter Cheese. As always, please see our show notes for sources and more information. Thank you so much to our producer, Casey O'Brien. And to our mixer, John Bradley, and our guest booker, Patrick Kotner. And to Henry Kapersky for our theme song and Carly Jean Andrews for our artwork. Thank you to our executive producers, Georgia Hardstark, Karen Kilgariff, Daniel Kramer, and everybody at Exactly Right Media. Dun, dun! dun. <laughs> Follow That's Messed Up and SVU Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to listen so you don't miss an episode. If you like what you hear, rate and review the show. Visit exactlyrightstore.com to purchase That's Messed Up merch.